Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. At last, my sampler is ready to eat. Oh, Nexium, you purple king of reflux, prepare to be tasted. And you, Crestor, the color of a desert rose, lower my cholesterol. And what's this, my friend and ally, Zithromax? Aim your fuchsia spear at an infection that I don't have. Uh, I'm so happy, I feel a little crazy. Come to me, Seroquel, and banish my psychosis. Uh, Kion, what are you doing? I'm taking prescription medicine, Greg. The ultimate American pastime. Do you even have a specific illness? No. Well, my feet have been really cold lately, and my elbow kind of hurts, and I eat emotionally, and I have sex dreams about the Taco Bell crunch wrap, and I also may be coming down with a cold. So None of those things are addressed by those medications. Of course they're not, but these pills are so pretty, and they're my right as an American. You might have better luck with Chinese medicine, which concentrates more on the functions of the body and the energy that flows through its channels called meridians. Okay, now you're sounding crazy. Let me ask you a question, Greg. If this Chinese medicine is so great, why are there no commercials for it? Where are the happy people with the golden retriever walking down the beach while a calm voice lists the hundreds of side effects? (laughs) You're kind of making my point for me. No, I'm not, Greg, because making someone's point for them is a known side effect of a certain drug I happen to not be taking. Yeah, but you don't even know anymore whether you feel sick or you're just having side effects from drugs you already take. And that's the way I like it, Greg. So why don't I have a little Simpicort while you eat some General Sao Statin? Today on the show, Chinese medicine, before and after the Nobel Prize. And now he claims to practice self-cupping. Colin McEnroe. But that's a very private thing. I don't really like to talk about myself cupping. All right. So, yeah, we're going to talk about traditional Chinese medicine today. And traditional Chinese medicine, uh, I mentioned uh, before the news, um, in some ways, I think the first time a lot of people in in the U.S. heard about it might have been in 1971 when James Rustin had acute appendicitis. He was probably the most famous writer for the New York Times at that moment. He was in what was then called in the New York Times Peking, uh, and he had acute appendicitis, and he was treated at the so-called – it wasn't so-called. It was the name of it, the Anti-Imperialist Hospital. Uh, and he was treated in a way that combined Western medicine with some traditional Chinese medicine. Traditional Chinese medicine didn't do so well uh, – during the Maoist revolution, but it was still there. It was still something that doctors turned to. So Reston described things that I'm pretty sure Americans had never heard about at that time. And since then, some of the the elements of that have become pretty normative. I mean, acupuncture is just kind of if you haven't at least been offered acupuncture, you should get out more. I mean, it just, just acupuncture has become pretty uh, standard standard in a lot of settings. Um, but there are other aspects of tra- tradi- traditional Chinese medicine, sometimes called TCM, that are a little bit more exotic to people or, or just unknown to people. Or and, and so I was personally very surprised to uh, see the Nobel Prize go to one branch, one small branch of um, Chinese medicine. Still, that's kind of, you know, I mean, it's it's really 
kind of revolutionary in a different way uh, for something like that that to happen for no, the Nobel Prize in medicine and physiology to go to uh, any practitioner of or anyone using traditional Chinese medicine. It made me wonder, um, kind of, first of all, what that meant for the field. It also made me feel like maybe we should do a show just introducing you to some of the other elements of TCM. So here in the studio with us, we have David McCollum. He's a licensed acupuncturist and a practitioner of holistic healing medicines at the Qi Healing Center in Canton. Uh, he's a graduate of Nanjing University of Traditional Chinese Medicine in China. And Mary Guerrera is a professor of family medicine and director of integrative medicine uh, in the Department of Family Medicine at UConn Medical School. Michael Kelly is a cancer survivor who has benefited from Chinese medicine. You'll be meeting other people, too, as the show goes along. If you have your own questions, you can call us at 860-275-7266 or your own comments. You can use the same line for questions and comments, 860-275-7266. You may also tweet us at WNPR Colin. Um, David McCallum, I'm going to kind of ask you to get us started here. And actually, I'd like you to begin by just um, telling us the story We've met before. I've actually been treated by David McCollum. I should say that. As a, um, tell us the story of your own education here. I mean, you, what even impelled you? What made you want to go to China and study traditional Chinese medicine? Well, I consider that to be uh, a series of very fortunate accidents. Mm-hmm. And the first one was actually before I was even thinking about career choices. And I had a very terrible back injury playing football as a 15-year-old boy at, in high school and was tackled from behind. And two-hand touch always turns into some traumatic event when you put boys on the field. But mm-hmm. we broke some bones in the spine, and, and uh, I had numbness and flat-boarded to the uh, hospital, to which my parents said, uh, is there anything other than uh, putting a steel rod in my son's spine? Fortunately, the answer was, well, maybe let's give it a try and let's see. And that inspired me to uh, seek out some physical therapy, which I was thinking I was pretty smart at that age of 15. I said, I'll fire my therapist and and rehab this myself. And that kind of pointed me in a direction that was very non-conventional. And when I was then done with high school and, and I discovered massage therapy and got in tune with a few things that I really thought were very much in line with my philosophy of of healing. And I found I hit some limits. I wanted to explore more. And I thought, well, I think maybe I'll get into osteopathic medicine. So I did some pre-medical work, and and I interviewed a few docs who were out in practice. And I got a very strong suspicion that this was not the direction I wanted. There seemed to be quite a concern about insurance and delivering care. And it didn't really line up for me. So out of uh, desperation and frustration, uh, I talked to a friend who said there might be a school in uh, in Connecticut. And I said, well, that sounds great. Where? He didn't know. And he pointed me down to the shore in Stanford. I called randomly a, a Chinese acupuncturist in the phone book. And he said, well, how about you talk to uh, doc- Dr. Schur? And, uh, and he's the guy. So I did. And that led me to... Uh, a whole uh, wonderful interview which consisted of me standing about 20 feet away from this uh, master, and he finally said, I will teach you acupuncture, but first you learn qigong and these other methods. And I just uh, went along with it. Uh, We ended up in in China, and I did my uh, clinical residency there, and 
this was an integrative hospital where we were practicing uh, Western medicine plus all of this uh, traditional Chinese medicine. How long were you in China doing that? Uh, three years. And, and, uh, and even I didn't really believe it, Colin, even though I was learning the, the studies and the practices. And, and I, I kind of bought in uh, at to the level of I thought this was uh, really fantastic, but it still something didn't quite make sense to me. And it was one clinical experience I had in the hospital in China that really turned me around. And that was a patient came in, he had this terrible back spasm, and the, I touched his back, it was hard as nails, he could barely breathe, and everything inside me said I should probably try to release this. And instead, uh, I listened to my Chinese teachers, and they said, use this point behind the knees. And I thought to myself, well, I'll try, but I think I'll have to go back and release this spasm. And when I did, I checked back, and it was gone. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an explanation other than the Chinese one, that qi moved through these channels, and I started to believe it. I tested that theory about 25 times that week, and, and now I, I, I pretty much accept that as something. Um, I, I want to come back to that and, and to what you just talked about, so, cause, because some of those terms, qi and meridians, won't be entirely familiar to our entire audience. Uh, but, Mary, I feel as though um, even 10 years ago, certainly 15 years ago, you wouldn't be sitting here on this show. I mean, not somebody from Yukon School of Medicine would not be sitting on a show about traditional Chinese medicine. And there are some people li probably listening to this show right now thinking, you know what? Western medicine is really great. It's like better than anything else. Uh, it's uh, we, We've got everything we need. Why would we even be having a conversation uh, about something like this? So tell us where you see it fitting in to, to modern Western medicine. Mm -hmm. Sure, Colin. Um, actually, I probably would be sitting here about 15 years ago. I'm kind of a unique family physician. Mm -hmm. And being a family physician, I look at the whole person, body, mind, spirit, in the context of their family, their community, the environment. So being drawn to family medicine when I was training in med school, I was pretty open-minded to what is healing? How do we know what we know? So I was very intrigued by different ways of healing, different ways of knowing, and that led me on a journey towards exploring things that were then called holistic alternative medicine, which is now kind of transformed to complementary, and probably the more appropriate word is integrative medicine, integrative health. I agree that over the last 20 years or so, last two decades, we've seen a huge shift in awareness of the public and awareness of the medical community that people, number one, are trying these therapies, and uh, number two, that we do need more research and understanding about this. We also right now have sort of an epidemic of chronic pain, and we really are at a loss of having appropriate therapies in conventional mainstream medicine for that. We have a uh, huge use of opioid and narcotics that are really a big problem. And I think people are seeking other ways. And acupuncture is, as you said, out in the community, a lot of more acupuncturists. It has safety. It has efficacy when done by an appropriately trained uh, practitioner. And it really opens up doors and options. Um, there's more and more research, and this has been an uh, important dimension of academic medicine and conventional allopathic medicine looking at these areas is, is there research? Is it safe? Is it effective? And I've seen a lot more research coming along uh, in that topic. 
As we go along here today, you're going to hear some stories from people who have benefited in very specific ways from this. But David, I want to come back to you for a second. So, because I think what you said is very important and very interesting to me that there's a, Americans have a little bit of a tendency to separate one thing out, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, there are, I mean, really, you can't swing a cat with nothing. That's a bad image, but you can't do anything without running into somebody who's had acupuncture these days. But Americans separate that out, and the 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 first person of any kind of authority that you talk to about this said. Yes, I'll teach you acupuncture, but you need to learn some other things first. You really need to learn the systems that are represented by and, and, and used by and exploited by acupuncture. You have to learn what all that is. So, I mean, obviously we have a finite amount of time sure, as opposed sure. to your years of study, but what were they talking about? Well, I, and again, at the time, I didn't even know. I just had this uh, inner sense that maybe I should uh, trust this uh, gentleman. He seemed to know what he was talking about. Uh, but it was understanding well enough the system. And in this case, I'm talking about that traditional Chinese medical system, which uses some very metaphorical language. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about uh, uh, wind, for example, as, as a, a metaphor to describe many neurologic findings. Mm-hmm. So what the ancient Chinese person uh, and, and the development of medicine came to conclusion about was that the body was interrelated in in very specific ways. Uh, They didn't have the modern uh, vernacular to describe it as as we would describe it, but the interactions nonetheless made sense clinically. If you casually observe this concept of qi, for example, you may mistake it for a single thing. You may mistake it for this uh, invisible something that is is a non-something. But when you think about uh, that concept of qi and you go back to its roots, the Chinese were really talking about a metaphor to describe all of the unseen phenomena. So in the early days, nobody knew why the heart beat or why blood circulated through the the veins and, and arteries. But the Chinese said, well, there must be this invisible force doing it. It didn't make it less any less valid of describing it as this chi or or the uh, osmotic pressure and vascular contractions uh, that that move blood and circulation around, but the concepts, uh, when you go deep enough, they actually explain many interactions that we don't yet have good explanation for. So, uh, give you a clinical example: a patient often will come with a headache, a migraine headache. And I often will tell them straight away, I can never treat a migraine headache, but I can treat why you have a headache. And, and it's the why you have, uh, so I feel for muscle tension. The Chinese describe that muscle tension as a stagnation or a blockage of energy moving in a specific area or region. So it gives us a nomenclature to understand then how to apply a, a clinical strategy. Uh, the language is rich with, with all of these interactions, and they, they are very confusing. And, and to be honest, it took me many years to, to really make sense of how it all fit together to, to actually use it clinically. Um, we're going to talk to some people, as I say, who've benefited from this. And, Michael, you are one of those people. Um, like a lot of people, I think these days you wind up benefiting from from both things, from conventional modern Western medicine. Uh, but then that didn't solve all your problems. So quickly share with us your story. How did you find your way to the doorstep of traditional Chinese medicine? Well, I sought David out basically because uh, I had a – really constant, uh, relentless back pain. That was the result of uh, having a cystoscopy performed. And 
you know, when you're told that you have cancer, it's kind of mind-numbing. So you're not able to put together all of the pieces that you might normally do. And so I knew that it was my back was giving me a lot of pain, but I couldn't put it together with the cystoscopy. Of course, it turned out that it was an infection, but it took David to tell me that after I had gone to my internist, my urologist, my oncologist, my gastroenterologist, and they all told me it wasn't connected. David said, of course, it was. Uh, <clears throat> so that's why I went. I didn't think that David could really do much about my cancer or my underlying disease, which was Crohn's. But actually, it turned out, in my case anyway, that David's treatments and acupuncture did solve all my problems. Wow, that's quite a, a testimony. Well, I mean, Mary, help help us understand this, because I, I can guarantee you there are people listening right now who are listening with great skepticism. They're, li- they're listening with skepticism to the description that, that David gave and to the story that Michael just told. So as a scientific person, how would it make sense that all kinds of um, uh, oncologists and, and, and other uh, diagnosticians would miss something like that, but Chinese medicine would get at it somehow? Well, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think that when we think about what David described as qi or this um, phenomenon, uh, if I'd like to just remind us that in conventional mainstream medicine, we use energy, we measure energy in many ways. For example, when you have an EKG electrocardiogram done, we're measuring the electrical conductance of the heart. When you have an EEG, an encephalogram done looking at brain waves, you're measuring the electrical activity of the brain. And other devices like a TENS unit, which is often used to heal bones or help pain. So we already use energy, um, not only therapeutic, but diagnostically. So the body has energy, and the body has both electromagnetic fields um, and this whole area of science that's emerging in um, uh, bioelectronic, uh, um, biomagnetism is a fascinating field. And uh, I'd encourage people to look into that because there's a lot of very interesting research being done studying energy in the body. So um, I, I think that um, in medicine, we are moving more and more towards team-based care and better communication among some of the specialists. As a family physician, most uh, family physicians and primary care physicians, both general internists and uh, general pediatricians, look at the whole person in the context of their um, entire being and work with specialists. I think sometimes you know, we can get siloed in our, in our disciplines and maybe not think uh, uh, holistically or whole personally. Um, so I think that uh, when a person has uh, explored um, the various uh, conventional approaches to healing and it's, it looks like there's more that might be able to be helped, I, I think, again, looking outside in, of the mainstream area, and so how can we collaborate? So I think really one of the most important take-home points today is that interdisciplinary uh, team care, and not only between different physicians and health professionals like doctors and nurses and physiotherapists and pharmacists. That's a growing and important area right now in both medical education and clinical practice. But expanding that circle of interdisciplinary team care, how can we best help the patient in their health and healing, can include people like acupuncturists, traditional trained uh, 
physicians and practitioners, um, naturopaths, many of the folks in our community, particularly here in Connecticut where many people are licensed and certified, to reach out and to really build bridges um, for increased dialogue and collaborate for optimal health and healing. Um, and David, I'm also assuming that you're not siloed either, that um, nope. if, if, I'm, if I've got angina, if I've got prostate cancer, you're not going to suggest that I turn my back on Western medicine. No, of, of course not. And, and I think the real strength is being able to identify those, uh, those signs before they're at a critical or, or uh, in many times what the, in modern medicine we call treatable conditions. So that subacute or chronic state is is where we can even determine things before many of the conventional testing uh, can can even uh, find, and and I think that's a, a big strength. But we always we always integrate, and I think uh, Mary said it very well. This word of integration, and I, I feel very strongly about that. There are strengths in 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 many approaches, and I often see when you combine uh, those multiple uh, disciplines together, we see the best results for patients. Um, and uh, well, I want to go to the phones here in just a second. Uh, Janice is calling in from Stonington. Also had an experience not unlike Michael's, but Michael, in your own words, I mean, okay, so you were a cancer survivor. Um, you had pain uh, a- after the cancer uh, uh, related to a- an infection. Uh, you have Crohn's disease. Uh, which is a, a seri- very serious condition in and of itself. So, I mean, in your own words, what do you think traditional Chinese medicine did for you? I think that it allowed me to allow my body to actually do the healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what David was able to do was, again, with Western medicine, the diagnosis is there, and there seems to be little time or real concern for the emotional state of the patient. Um, There's too much clinical data and too much, I guess it's 400 clicks is what I've heard. That's what the average emergency room doctor does a day on a computer. So that doesn't leave a lot of time for interaction with the patient. And David was able to, through acupuncture and through his talents and his approach, was able to get me to relax enough mentally so that I could then give the body permission to start healing itself. And so he was the first one to suggest stop eating gluten. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And after having Crohn's for 30 years, nobody had ever said that to me. As soon as I stopped that and changed my diet, my whole life changed. My my energy came back. a number of different things happened in my life that all had to be tied to the treatments. Um, let me grab a call here from a somewhat similar story, I think from Janice in Stonington. Hi, Janice, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. Um, I've had very successful experiences with TCM for the past three years. Uh, specifically, two was uh, a lump in my breast and also severe scoliosis. So about three years ago, uh, by the way, I have an OBGYN. I have two naturopathic physicians that specialize in women's medicine, and now I have Dr. Wu out of West Hartford. Now, I couldn't find anything down in Stonington, or uh, I'm right next to Rhode Island, couldn't find anything, uh, anybody that was a TCM. Um, so uh, basically I had a uh, somography instead of mammography because that would detect angiogenesis, which would be all those little nice little blood vessels and things like that. So I had that done. And uh, the uh, compound that he had, because he's also a uh, third-generation herbalist, uh, within approximately four months, I had another um, thermogram done. 
and there was no trace of it. Um, I also have been uh, doing uh, Qigong uh, instruction. Sometimes I have to do a lot at home just because 65 miles to West Hart from Stonington is a drag um, it, for the scoliosis, along with, uh, nobody mentioned yet, Tweenai massage mm-hmm. um, for the faint of a heart, heart, you know, but it's it works extremely well with me. And my background is consulting and research, um, one out of a department for MIT, so I researched all the compounds uh, that I was taking that time for the lump. And one of them actually is in uh, going to be in the first uh, Chinese herbal patented uh, medicine that's uh, already, already completed, uh, completed phase two. So there's lots of trials, clinical trials that are going on, but uh, there will be the first patented Chinese herbal medicine soon in the United States. Um, well, thanks for that story. Uh, we're going to take a break in just a second. But Mary, you know, there, I'm going to get emails. Like I already know, I'm going to get emails, and e- some of the emails are going to say stuff like, "This is not really tested as well as it should be," and there are people offering herbal compounds out there that, uh, you know, it might be placebos, might be something worse than placebos, uh, might actually be deleterious to some people. It's just not a system that we can say with the same amount of confidence we might ascribe to the American medical system. It's not a system we can say you can absolutely trust this. It's all going to work out fine. Maybe if you're the kind of person Janice is and you do a lot of your own research and, and, and make sure uh, you're on a better footing. So what do I say to all the emails that I'm going to get saying, you're irresponsible, Colin, for putting this show on the air about all this stuff that people don't really understand all that well. Well, that's a great question, Colin. And I think it's always safety first. And I think um, anyone who's a practitioner who's truly interested in health and healing is always going to put the patient's um, health and safety first. And so it's an excellent question. We know from uh, survey data that about 30 to 40 percent of people in the United States use some form of complementary and alternative medicine, and a a very large number of them are using over-the-counter supplements and botanicals and other, let's say, non-prescription, non-pharmacotherapy agents. And many of these, as you mentioned, um, we don't know if they're necessarily quality tested. Some may be. It's very confusing. The FDA hasn't really um, monitored this whole um, uh, area, so it's... uh, it's something that you really need to be aware of. Uh, so that said, it's important, number one, to discuss this with your physician or health professional. I think it's very important. We teach our medical students at UConn Medical School about asking patients not only about prescription medications, but also supplements and botanicals and other types of health and healing practices that and practitioners they may see. It's important for the primary physician and all your physicians to know about this to help guide that. And I would say, like, talk to your physicians, talk to your legislators. Let's get this moving so that we can um, have more um, uh, quality control. Uh, more importantly, if you are going to pursue this and you're interested, is to find a qualified practitioner. Herbal medicine, I have great respect for it. It has a long tradition. There's many benefits that may be um, forthcoming from this. And you need to know, uh, you need to find a practitioner that's well-trained and uh, really knows this. Now, throw in that the person may be on a prescription medication. Most people these days are on many medications, and we don't really know what more than two or three of them are doing in your body, and then if you throw in a supplement and a botanical, that becomes more complex. So yes, we need more research, we need uh, more safety and quality control of the actual products, 
And, um, you know, hopefully our pharmacy people can be helping us with this. And, um, you know, the mainstream medical community can can work together and bridge this with um, herbalists and botanical people. And presumably the fact that one branch of this did just get a Nobel Prize in medicine mm-hmm. may spur that along a little bit. All right, let's uh, take a little break here. We're talking about traditional Chinese medicine. We're going to talk very specifically about acupuncture when we come back. Lost my Chinese medicine in the pouring rain. I'm my Chinese medicine. It's the way to begin with myself. All right. Welcome back. This is our show about traditional Chinese medicine. As I said, um, one branch of it won a Nobel Prize in medicine and physiology uh, just a few weeks ago, which kind of got me thinking. And maybe it's time to sort of talk a little bit more specifically uh, about the uh, the whole discipline, the whole tradition. So uh, we've been doing that with guests in studio, David McCollum, who's a licensed acupuncturist and a pr- uh, practitioner of holistic healing methods at the Qi Healing Center in Canton. Uh, Mary Guerrero, who's a professor at Professor of Family Medicine uh, with UConn Medical School. Michael Kelly, a cancer survivor who has benefited from Chinese medicine. Um, We're going to talk about acupuncture very specifically right now uh, and uh, add to the conversation Vitaly Napadao, who is an associate professor at the Martinez uh, Center for Biomedical Imaging at Massachusetts General Hospital at Harvard Medical School, also president of the Society for Acupuncture Research. Um, Before we talk to Vitaly Napadao, uh, David, I'm going to ask you, I mean, it seems to me that acupuncture is kind of, for most people, if there's going to be sort of a gateway moment towards TCM, it's probably going to be acupuncture. And it's also kind of where the rubber meets the road here a little bit in terms of the, the conversation that's gone on between the scientific community uh, and the TCM or the Western scientific community and the CCM community. So maybe it would be helpful to start with like a 60-second description of how acupuncture in, in TCM theory, how it works. What, what does it do? Well, okay, and and this is where we have to fully embrace this concept of the body's uh, innate wisdom. And I'm going to first give you my explanation, which is based on what I see day in and, and day out, and then I'll I'll wrap you back around to the traditional model. And and that is, I really feel that we are delivering a signal, a message, a stimulus that then is received, translated. And perhaps uh, Dr. Vitali can uh, uh, talk about how that happens from the brain uh, way. But that, that message then causes reaction throughout the whole system. And I think the confusing part uh, is that it can be multiple uh, things are changing. Uh, so, for example, one of my clinical tests is uh, after I do an acupuncture, I look for an immediacy of change. And if I don't see that, I assume that either I haven't applied the right stimulation, I may have missed something, and I use that to inform an adjustment to my treatment. But I'm expecting because the body is so uh, regular in its response. The old Chinese way is to think about every point that we stimulate has a connection through this interconnected highway system of energy flow. And when you stimulate one point far away from the location of problem, there's a current in changing. And remember, these are metaphors, and these currents of of changing and moving energy uh, help the body to readjust, recalibrate, and find balance again. So, um, Vitaly Napado, uh, I'm going to introduce you to this conversation now, too. And I think, I mean, just from my own 
you know, reading of the literature, which is obviously inadequate for this conversation. But it seemed to, to me that what I was reading was that, you know, there, there are different schools of thought uh, in the scientific community about how this works, about whether it works. But you could kind of break it out into maybe four different positions. Uh, there's a group of people who basically say this doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. It's nothing, basically. There's a group of people who say it works probably mainly as a placebo. There's another group of people who say it works, but not the way that David just described. It works in some other way. It doesn't work on meridians and chi, but it works uh, in terms of stimulating some other possible hormonal process uh, of the body. And then there are people who basically believe it works pretty much the way David just described and the way for centuries practitioners of TCM have believed that it works. I don't know whether I just stated all that correctly, but how do you start testing this? How do you start testing it in a way that will be satisfactory to the to the kinds of, uh, of standards and tests that are set by the Western scientific canon? Um, well, yes, this is a, an excellent question. And first of all, I just want to thank you for looping me into this uh, discussion and this conversation. I think it's, um, it's really a, f- a fascinating field. And in my research with neuroimaging, I've been able to try to understand uh, brain activity and brain response to acupuncture. That's kind of what I do. And, and you're right, it, it's, it's very polarizing. There's people on opposite sides of the spectrum and some people that, you know, believe that this is worthless. And, and then, then some people that, you know, believe that it's going to, you know, be the panacea for all of our ills. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in between. And um, there's actually, I think, people will be surprised to hear that there's actually been a lot of research that has been done on acupuncture from the standpoint of uh, integrative medicine or, or complementary alternative medicine. Acupuncture probably has the most research behind it that dates back really to the 1950s and 1960s in China. So, and including the um, um, uh, Tu Yo Yo, who's the person who was awarded the Nobel Prize, uh, began at those, at those times. And I think we've learned a lot, really, about acupuncture and about how it might function, but we haven't sort of definitively located the mechanism. And in my view, that might be because there isn't a mechanism. There, there are mechanisms, and I think the way that acupuncture might be beneficial for something like chronic pain uh, might be a very different mechanism by which it might be beneficial for something like Parkinson's disease. And uh, we know that acupuncture affects endorphin levels in the brain. Uh, We know that it also uh, modulates uh, dopamine levels in the brain. And so some of these uh, physiological responses uh, might be specific and important for for different disorders. There's, I have so many zillions and zillions of questions, but maybe, um, Mary, I'll just swing over to you for a second. One thing that we can say, one thing that I think Western medicine has accepted, although I'm old enough to remember when this really was kind of a pushing the envelope idea is the mind-body connection, right? I mean, I don't know. I, when, I was a, when I was a kid, obviously there were people who said it's all in your head. There were uh, terms like psychosomatic and things like that. But the notion that our minds and our bodies were intimately connected uh, and, and that um, – well, and that notion anyway really wasn't entirely embraced now, it's that to me, I'm, I'm going to ask Vitaly some very specific questions, but to me, that seems to be part of the conversation we're having right now about acupuncture. Well, that's really important, the mind-body connection. And I think um, the amazing research um, that is coming forth now, I mean, the neuroscience, the fields of neuroscience and neuroimaging is just amazing. We are seeing um, mindfulness come onto the scene um, very much so. Um, there's more and more studies about the mind-body connection and how mindfulness and meditative practices 
um, some of that championed through um, the Dalai Lama's research with Olympic uh, meditators, and we're, we're seeing through brain imaging how actually the neuroplasticity and the, the effects of actually growing parts of your brain through repeated practice and, and contemplative practices seems to be helping. So there's this ancient wisdom and practice that we are now able to understand more with our sort of modern science and technology. And I think as people see this research coming forth and actually um, seeing the studies uh, and seeing the outcomes of what continued mindfulness or meditative practices, this mind-body connection, can do for stress and um, health and healing, uh, I think more and more people are realizing this is really important. So, uh, Vitaly, I, I'm, con- I'm interested to know, I mean, David has uh, talked about qi and, and some of the other aspects of, of TCM as, in some ways, kind of a metaphor. Um, and, and as you begin to study it using neuroimaging, you may find the brain and the body responding to acupuncture in ways that maybe don't fit the strictest traditional understanding, uh, uh, Chinese understanding of how this works. So, I mean, in some ways, I mean, if you're learning things about, you know, serotonin or dopamine or anything like that, that, that might be kind of different from how TCM traditionally understood that acupuncture works. Are these two things compatible, the kind of research that you do and the traditional understanding? Um, right. So, you know, um a few uh, a few years ago, uh, Stephen Birch uh, introduced this concept of a system of correspondences, where you you know we in Chinese medicine uh, there's talk about qi and, and yin and yang, and uh, meridians and and these things were sort of uh, first of all they're translated from the Chinese and so the translations are not necessarily correct in the way that we conceive of them and the whole the whole translation of qi as energy uh, may or may not be correct. Um, but also, you know, what I tell a lot of people is we just don't have a chi meter. Uh, I have no way of measuring chi because we don't know exactly what it is. And so if I have no way of measuring it, then uh, from a scientific research point of view, it's, uh, it, it's very difficult to study it. But we do have nice tools for measuring things like brain activity and, and uh, um, you know, blood response, blood flow response. Uh, both peripherally and centrally, and so these are the tools that we have. And so, un- until we, until we can really identify what chi might be and and uh, have something like a chi meter that can be used in research, I think it's difficult to look at the the uh, underpinnings of Chinese medicine um, beyond a philosophical construct. But that doesn't mean that they are uh, somehow you know inaccurate in some uh, you know philosophical metaphysical worldview. And I mean, David does. Does this lend, I mean, does acupuncture, does, does uh, TCM lend itself to the kind of quantification that, that maybe science wants? In other words, I'm sure you're very interested in, oh, yeah. in, in the neuroimaging stuff, uh, but it may also need to fit into a, a different kind of narrative in terms of what traditional Chinese medicine is. Does that make any sense, what I'm saying? I, I think so, and, and I would love to see that research continue because in, uh, in, in a, a dreamy future, I would love to see this uh, all integrate seamlessly where we wouldn't even have to use things like acupuncture needles, and we just uh, possibly pass through a brain scanner and it and adjust the body in such a way that we don't have any illness. Until then, though, I, I have to rely on the parts and pieces that, that do work really well for my patients. Um, and I, I think I'll share a story, and, and this is one of just practicality. And so I, I love things that work, and, and at this point, I'm not even so concerned as to why they work or how you want to describe they work. 
So this one's near and dear, uh, the birth of my daughter. Um, I used a, a very novel uh, treatment of acupuncture for the, uh, through the birth process for pain management and to speed up the delivery. And, and boy, this was one hour and 13 minute sprint and my little daughter Jillian was born. And the striking part of that story was, was that my wife sitting uh, on the bench at the hospital waiting for the nurse and she's uh, very comfortable and the nurse asked her, are you in pain? And she says, oh no, maybe one, two out of 10. And the nurse does a pelvic exam. She's eight and a half centimeters dilated and ready to give birth. Um, so those kind of firsthand experiences are, are very, very powerful uh, reinforcements to me. I have thousands of patients who have uh, similar experiences. So I would love to have a very satisfactory explanation that meets from all perspectives. But until then, I'm very satisfied with having patients receive the benefit. You know, Vitaly Napado, I'm sure you have 100 questions you want answered. Uh, through your research, a uh, hundred questions about acupuncture and, and, and the related uh, systems, systems of the body. Is there one big question? Is there one grand unified question that you really want to answer through your research? Well, I think, yes. I mean, I, I think one important direction to go in is to uh, go towards uh, more clinical relevance in our research. So I think you know, where the, the field uh, started was uh, simply taking, um, you know, healthy adults, healthy individuals, and uh, taking a needle, inserting the needle, and uh, manipulating or twisting the needle, and seeing, you know, where in, the brain, where in the brain it lights up. So kind of a poke and look approach. And, you know, as time went on, uh, the question, uh, natural question that's asked is, what is the relevance of this physiological response to some sort of clinical outcomes? And so I think uh, we've become more and more interested in, first of all, studying uh, patient populations, but also looking at um, sort of the, the ecological validity of acupuncture, so the natural way that it's practiced, which is not necessarily through a single needle and a single treatment, but over a course of treatment over multiple weeks and seeing how uh, neuroplasticity uh, evolves over time. And so the, the brain, uh, we know, uh, changes when uh, people are in chronic pain. And so there's a neuroplastic response, a maladaptive one. And then after acupuncture therapy, after a course of acupuncture therapy, can this plasticity be reversed? And so these are kind of the questions that are bouncing around in my head and in other researchers as well um, as we go and um, test this further. All right. Uh, we're going to uh, stop the conversation there and take a break. We'll come back. This show is flying by, uh, but uh, we'll do our best. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Our interns are Nate Gagnon and Zachary LaSala. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Mia Farrow. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff snorting dried seahorse, visit our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. On tomorrow's show, the literary voice of Eastern Connecticut. And now...
back to Colin. All right. We're talking about traditional Chinese medicine. If I uh, tell you the names of all the guests and all their titles, the show will be over. So I'm going to sort of speed by that. I do want to say we're getting an awful lot of uh, Twitter and email action. A lot of people just talking about how, in fact, uh, working with a practitioner uh, like David McCallum is with us or, or somebody else. Uh, they're telling basically a very similar story to what Michael said, that it's somehow or other allowed their body to heal for the first time uh, and uh, also saying that a lot of times they got asked questions that uh, no sort of canonical Western medicine practitioner had asked them before, questions about really where their hip pain came from or whatever. So very interesting stuff. We'll try to share as much of it as we can in any way that we can. But if you go on the WNPR Colin uh, Twitter account, you probably see uh, a little bit of it as well. Um, And then another thing, uh, David, that I just wanted to quickly say is that I was your patient for a while and at no point did you offer me uh, any Chinese herbs and I'm assuming, or any herbs of any kind, and I'm assuming that's because I was also taking some some conventional medications. That's that's correct. And I, I always look at that as our, our first tier. And the simple fact is we don't know all of the interactions. Some Sometimes it could be a, a very simple thing like uh, prescribing uh, something like a cinnamon for a diabetic patient because we do have enough uh, evidence through a modern lens to say the cinnamon is great at growing a capillary response and it's uh, it's been shown to lower blood sugars and so on. But then when we look at it from a comprehensive uh, TCM model, uh, we can really work well within that one model, uh, but then when we start combining, we're into a, a place that historically we don't have any uh, real good safety guidelines. And All right. So we've got zillions of calls here. I'm going to apologize in advance for the fact that we're not going to get to a lot of them. Uh, But uh, we also – we do want to talk to uh, Elizabeth. This is uh, uh, Elizabeth Current who is calling up. She is the owner of Current Public Relations. Um, She wants to share a story of how she benefited uh, from uh, acupuncture for pain and and I think also for um, kind of another deeper, more personal kind of trauma from what I can tell. Elizabeth, uh, very quickly, uh, sketch out your story for us. Uh, yes, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, and by the way, it's Elizabeth Carreri. Oh, but, sorry. Uh, uh, 22 years that. ago, I was shot by my uh, former husband on my right shoulder blade area. And uh, after recovery in the hospital, I became an activist in speaking against domestic violence. Um, as the years prog- um, progressed, the pain from the shooting increased uh, pretty pretty bad. On the scale from 1 to 10, I would say, I mean, it was sometimes uh, 10 to 15. So it, it gives you an idea of how much pain I was going through. I did, um, uh, I sought the help of conventional health care providers, um, visiting no, a number of, of doctors and physical therapists, as well as taking uh, prescribed uh, drugs like uh, Darvacet and Vicodin with absolutely no decrease uh, to my pain. And uh, additionally, uh, the red tape I had to deal with in trying to obtain medical insurance approval uh, for the treatment was mind-boggling and often just a waste of my time. And uh, many of my days were spent in severe pain at home, um, crying and in darkness in my room uh, because uh, even the light of day caused, uh, caused me additional pain. Um, and uh, a few years ago, while living in California, my current husband, who, who's, uh, by the way, a very wonderful husband now, um, suggested that I try seeing an acupuncturist. And we found a local California acupuncturist, Dr. Mao, 
um, and um, and from then we we moved to Connecticut, and and that was about uh, a little bit over two years ago. Uh, my first priority was to find a good acupuncturist, and uh, with the help of Dr. Mao, uh, we uh, he suggested highly suggested after uh, reading the reviews and and reading a little bit of background uh, of David. Uh, without hesitation, Dr. Mao advised us to choose David McCollum because he had been trained in China, and uh, he believed this is a very important, and not only because uh, David has been taught the trade correctly, but has also learned uh, the correct philosophy of healing through acupuncture. So I apologize for doing this to you, but we're, we're almost out of time. So, okay. uh, so give us a sense of how this worked out for you. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, the pain um, uh, has, I mean, is gone, absolutely gone. And uh, I felt uh, results within the first uh, four visits um, and only found uh, relief, actually, uh, through acupuncture from Dr. Mao. And then David actually cured the problem. Um. You know, I mean, we are almost out of time here, but uh, in a minute or so uh, uh, or, or less, Mary, one of the things that you said during the break that I thought was really interesting is that how all of these treatments are incredibly personal. And one of the things that makes research difficult is you'd have to find another person who was a gunshot survivor who, you know, for and who had a lot of other things that were very similar to Elizabeth Carreri's story. I mean, I mean every patient is a very personal, tailored thing, right? This is true, and um, I think this is one of the obstacles to doing um, Western uh, um, approach um, research, and I think this does uh, bring us to the importance, and NIH, National Institutes of Health, has even mentioned how we really do need to explore other ways of doing research. For example, outcome studies or a study of N of 1, which means a person benefits, a person that's had chronic, relentless pain is benefited from a treatment and we should be curious. We should explore this. We should really do more to find other ways of doing research and helping people heal. All right. I'm really sorry that we have to stop it there. We've got so many calls and so many other unexplored meridians of thought. But thanks to Michael Kelly, Mary Guerrera, David McCollum, everybody else who helped out with today's show. But it's all claptrap. I've got the traditional Chinese medicine blues. Ah! Oh, oh, that hurts. Ah! Dr. Wolf, I, I didn't think acupuncture was supposed to hurt. Acupuncture is so last year. This is in acupuncture. You'll feel better when I'm done. They always do. Oh, you